Hello, and welcome to the Strategica podcast from the Hoover Institution, analyzing the intersection of military history and contemporary national security concerns. You can find us online at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and today we examine the topic of the most recent issue of Strategica, what are the repercussions of shrinking the size of the American military? And I am joined now by the author of the historical backgrounder in this issue, Angelo Cotavilla, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. Angelo, thank you for joining us. You're most welcome. All right, so let's start with a, a provocative assertion that you make right up front in your piece at Strategica, one that might surprise some of our listeners. Quoting you here, by itself, the reduction of U.S. forces envisaged by the 2014 Quadrennial Defense Review of roughly 5% across the board does not change their capacity to perform any of the missions entrusted to them, nor would an increase of similar size do so. Explain that. Well, that is simply because the forces, uh, as, as currently deployed, uh, as they currently exist and are deployed, are not designed to do any particular thing. Therefore, increasing or decreasing their, uh, uh, their size would not affect that capacity because it isn't there. You can't change something that isn't there to begin with. Uh, these forces exist for a variety of historical and bureaucratic reasons, but they are not designed to do to do any particular thing. That is a sometimes that is a an often inevitable feature of purely defensive deployments, defense against uh, really anything that might happen. And so, because you are not uh, uh, thinking of any specific thing. Or, and planning to, to uh, defeat that, that specific threat, that specific um, uh, attack, then uh, you simply do not have uh, any concrete capacity. The, the, the forces are there. What they might actually do is anybody's guess. Okay, and in this piece, you lay out a series of, of various factors that determine military efficacy in various situations. And you, and you cite some historical examples. So let, let's walk through this list. The first factor you talk about is size, which you make clear here is, is not everything. And, and you do so with two examples from ancient Greece, one in which a large force failed and another in which a smaller force succeeded seemingly against the odds. Describe those events for us and the, and the lessons to be learned there. Well, uh, the, first the lessons to be learned in general. Everything depends on – the actual forces arrayed against one another in a particular situation. And what is lacking in our current deployment is any conception of the particular situations. Uh, we say, um, well, we, we want to have forces capable of, of fighting one war or two wars or one and a half wars. Which wars? Against whom? And how precisely would these, uh, these uh, battles be won? In the examples, in the historical examples that I give, we have uh, Athens uh, in, uh, uh, in the famous Sicilian expedition of the Peloponnesian War sending a magnificently um, uh, equipped uh, uh, force to, to Sicily, uh, the, the, the finest navy that, that the world had ever seen, and uh, uh, some 10,000 uh, magnificently equipped uh, uh, ground forces, uh, which, however, uh, 
uh, lacked one essential feature, namely cavalry. And they simply could not uh, conquer Syracuse uh, by storm without that one addition. And that they did not have. They then settled down uh, again with uh, with great local superiority uh, to fight a battle which mere superiority could they simply could not storm the walls of Syracuse and so they settled down and as they settled down what had been superiority turned into a tremendous liability uh, they they sat the navy deteriorated and the ground forces were gradually uh, encircled. They doubled down then. They doubled the size of the force. They doubled the size of this enormous force, and they ended up losing everything. And, of course, this was uh, the key to their eventual loss of the war. On the other side, um, in the Battle of Marathon, uh, some 50 years earlier, uh, the Athenians prevailed with a much smaller group against a, hu a huge force simply because they... They saw an op a, a good tactical opportunity, and they took it. Uh, <clears throat> the forces were that the smaller forces were more than adequate to the situation because they were used in precisely the right way. So uh, size really is relative only to particular situations, particular tactics, particular intentions. And what we are lacking in the United States right now. Is, an, is, is a, a concrete conception of precisely what we would do, how we would do it, and how that would translate to victory. Now, location is the next variable that you identify, and, and we turn here to ancient Rome. What can we learn from their experience? Well, uh, the, the Romans uh, made some uh, egregious mistakes uh, in their uh, early battles of the, the Second um, the, um, Punic War. Uh, mistakes that uh, were close to, um, well, close to the end of Rome, really. Uh, and um, had those mistakes, had those losses been suffered far away from Rome, uh, the uh, Rome could not have reabsorbed the remnants of those troops, uh, would not have been able to, um, to shelter them and to reform them into, uh, into forces which eventually over the long run, were able to win the war. The point is that uh, if you have forces, as the United States now has forces, deployed far, far away, defeats of those forces can be definitive, cannot be made up. For example, we uh, have we, our, our, our naval fo forces in the Pacific right now, our naval strategy, such as it is in the Pacific, is to try to dominate the seas from aircraft carriers, to try to dominate the coastal seas of the Western Pacific from carriers. This is not only inherently difficult to do, in, in fact, it is the most advantageous, most disadvantageous way of trying to control seas, but it exposes uh, our carriers to defeat, and once those carriers are defeated, once those faraway forces are defeated, the United States in the, is left without defenses in the Pacific. The, the, uh, those forces of ours, those naval forces of ours, are uh, optimized for controlling the middle of the oceans, not 
coastal areas because, again, military history teaches that um, uh, coastal seas are best controlled from land. Uh, the, we, uh, our carriers, are simply not fit for that, and by by uh, exposing them to battle far, far away, we are risking not only their loss, but the loss of our only means of controlling the Pacific Ocean. Now, uh, let's talk about strategy. The 2014, the Quadrennial Defense Review, which I refu- referred to earlier, uh, this is how it describes the mission of, of U.S. forces. And, and you can settle in because, as you know, this, t- this takes a moment. Protect, I'm quoting here, protect the homeland, deter and defeat attacks on the United States, build security globally in order to preserve regional stability, deter adversaries, support allies and partners, and cooperate with others to address common security challenges. And it continues, project power and win decisively to defeat aggression, disrupt and destroy terrorist networks. What does Angelo Cotavilla make of that litany as a guideline Uh, for strategy? Common sense says, oh, what a lovely set of desires. But how are you going to get these things that you desire? What is the relationship between the forces that we have and the desires that we have? The answer, unfortunately, is there isn't any. There isn't any because these forces were not built to do those things. For example, defeat terrorists, you say? Well, we've been trying to do that for about, uh, oh, uh, well over a decade. How have we done that? We have done that by sending troops to essentially operate in replenished minefields. We have ended up with uh, some 6,000 American troops dead, over 30,000 crippled for life, And at the end of that period, we have more terrorists than we had before. Hmm, perhaps something is wrong with that. But the Quadrennial Defense Review doesn't seem to think of that. They seem, and and those who who wish to to address the problem by simply increasing forces don't address the question how. Just precisely how do you mean to use this to get that? Unless you have a pretty darn good answer. My advice is, before sending out anything, before spending a dollar, think of the relationship between ends and means. How can you get from here to there? That, dear folks, is the dictionary meaning of strategy. Strategy is, is merely a fancy word for a plan for using what you've got to get what you want. And that's what we haven't got, a strategy. To that point, and this is the final question I'll ask you, if you were brought into one of these meetings, one of these strategy formulation meetings, these objections of yours being given a hearing, and the question was asked of you, what's the single most important thing that the United States can do to get our forces on a footing that you think is commensurate with our actual national security needs? How would you answer? Think. (laughs) (laughs) I would say think. You know, uh, I, I hate to answer with a joke, but um, uh, I'm afraid it's the, it's the best way to do it. Uh, you, you know that uh, the old joke about the uh, the airplane flying along and the, the pilot saying we're going to crash. If there's a, a, a if there's any man of the cloth, any religious person here, please do something religious. And somebody stands up and starts uh, taking a collection. Well, uh, in, in, in the same vein, uh, if the plane were, were filled with generals 
And uh, the pilot said, you know, we've just entered into a terrible war, and uh, uh, if there are any generals here, please do something strategic. Well, these generals will get up and start fighting over the budget. Uh, no, <laughs> don't do that. Start thinking, what have we got, and then how are we going to use it to defeat the enemy? That is not what is being done. I suggest that instead of fighting over the budget, over increases or decreases in the budget, that they start thinking, how are we going to use what we've got? And if this is not sufficient for us to win the battles that we see before us, then let us ask what will be sufficient and get that and deploy it as needed to actually win wars. We haven't done that. We should. All right. Our guest has been Angelo Cotavilla, Professor Emeritus of International Relations at Boston University and a member of Hoover's Military History Working Group. You can read his piece and those by other members of the group by visiting Strategica at hoover.org forward slash publications forward slash Strategica. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-K-A. Angelo, thanks for joining us. You are most welcome. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.